Hello, this is Andrew Brewer. I am Instructional Technologist at Northwest Area Health Education Center at Wake Forest Schools of Medicine. I'm also the host of the Healthcare Insights podcast. Um, today, I'm here with Dewana Hamlin, who is the director of the um, Family Justice Center, um, and is that is that's Forsyth County? Is that correct, Dewana? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so directly, and we're here to talk about a program that we're having um, on October 30th. It's a live webinar. Um, it's called Cues, Clues, and Other Red Flags When Intimate Partner Violence is More Than Black and Blue. Um, you can register for that program or find out more information at nwahec.org slash 63079, or just go to northwestahec.org and search for huge clues and other red flags or intimate partner violence or just the word black and blue um, and you can find it. So um, great to have you with us, uh, Duana. And um, this is a very important topic that we're going to talk about. And, and I'm going to lead off with why is the topic of non-physical violence important as a training? Well, thank you for having me, Andy. I'm always excited to talk about these topics uh, and what we can do in our community to create some change. I think the focus for learning in years past about intimate partner violence or domestic violence is often centered around the physical signs, broken bones, attempted strangulation, uh, using weapons. And there's also the myth that non-physical violence isn't as dangerous or serious or the effects aren't as detrimental to well-being which of course we know is absolutely false. Absolutely false. Um, often criminal and civil remedies aren't explored in depth for non-physical violence like they are for, um, for physical abuse. And another um, piece I want to mention is the health effects of intimate partner violence are often overlooked as well. And having healthcare providers on board for documentation can be essential to substantiating a victim's experiences and building a case for the prosecution. And then finally, I'd like to mention that service providers, first and foremost, are human beings, you know, across professions from law enforcement, judicial officials, social workers, pastors, nurses. We can all miss the subtle signs and tactics of power and control that and downplay the seriousness of non-physical violence. First, if we don't know what to look for and also how they're integrated as a bigger um, as a part of a bigger pattern of intentional behavior by the abuser. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff there. So tell me, you know, for service providers and healthcare professionals, what is the, um, you know, I mean, obviously there's a moral uh, obligation, but what are the legal implications of, of when you recognize in those subtle signs and you may not get confirmation um, from the patient, the client, but, uh, you know, how do you, how do you proceed with that? When it comes to adults and domestic violence with the legal ramifications, there is no duty to report in the state of North Carolina uh, unless there's some very, there are a few exceptions uh, regarding uh, cognitive or intellectual disabilities, um, uh, elder abuse, uh, and that sort of thing. But there is no legal requirement to report uh, suspected domestic violence um, unless there are children involved or there may be a duty to warn uh, if there's suicidal or homicidal ideation. However, 
Um, as you said, there are moral obligations in, I think, just as friends, neighbors, co-workers uh, to, to know what the signs are to look for. And that includes, uh, of course, uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, psychological or emotional abuse, and then financial abuse. Yes, yeah, so it covers a lot of territory. Now, let's let's go into the learning objectives for this particular program on October 30th. And just if you want to summarize um, some of the things that, that you're going to cover in this session. And then what I want you to do is switch gears and talk a little bit about um, your workplace and, and, and things, you know, the services that you provide other than um, this type of training that we're doing. Well, I think for this training, uh, our objectives, we've had to transition like all uh, professional development opportunities from a live training or face-to-face -face training to a virtual format. And we're excited to still bring the same excellence uh, that Northwest AHEC is known for uh, to this type of training. Um, and the objectives are we want people to, one, be able to recognize non-physical tactics of power and control uh, by abusers is to first be able to recognize what some of those things are related to financial abuse or emotional abuse, those things that are non-physical or often accompany physical violence. We also plan to summarize the civil and criminal remedies for non-physical acts of IPV or intimate partner violence, how to document and create safety planning alternatives, also identify chronic health conditions experienced by victims of IPV, to determine advocacy strategies for service providers, which are validating uh, the spectrum of victim experiences rather than discounting those things. And then finally, to strategize realistic and workable assessment options, because sometimes what is happening um, and then trying to build safety planning and options for victims around that are sometimes very difficult because of the obstacles that victims might face uh, in communities. Um, also, I want to mention that our faculty includes recognized trainers with years of experience in advocacy, civil law practice, prosecuting criminal cases, victim assistance, coordinated community response, and adult and community education. So we're very, um, very pleased to have presenters that are connected to this work um, and have done this work for years as well as day to day in their day to day practice. Yeah, I was going to mention the all-star lineup you have um, there. So um, it looks like it's going to be a very uh, information-filled uh, morning. Um, it starts at uh, 9 a.m. And, and goes on to 1 p.m. So it's a pretty full day for a webinar, but I think uh, I think uh, the attendees will get a lot out of it because there is such a variety and, and uh, of speakers and, and different perspectives for this important topic. Um, Tell us just a little bit about your workplace and what the Family Justice Center is all about, and we'll wrap it up. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the Family Justice Center. Uh, there are a number of centers across the globe and, of course, in the state of North Carolina, and it's an opportunity to assist victims from an evidence-based model of practice, having co-located services. We currently uh, had one of the first models of that in our community in Forsyth County called Safe on 7. Uh, we were the first co-located model in the state. 
And there's been some advancements over time and what that model can look like and offer uh, survivors and families uh, in communities. And it's really about bringing the core group of services to one physical space so that survivors do not have to travel to multiple spaces at least to get their core um, core services, especially if there are injuries, if they're, uh, of course, uh, going through something like domestic violence is very traumatic. It can be traumatic not only for victims, but for their family members, their children. And we wanted to create a space that uh, the entire community has been involved in the process of planning for actually some years now. Uh, we've taken the voices of, of survivors in this community. Uh, we've heard from law enforcement. We've heard from judicial officials and uh, government. We've heard from nonprofit organizations to determine actually what is needed in this community. And we are very pleased that uh, we're able to offer this service uh, in a couple of months from now uh, to our community in ways that are not just focused on crisis intervention, but also in helping survivors and families thrive um, after uh, trauma uh, has happened to them. Great, great. Um, I would be remiss to not throw out uh, a question about COVID and how that's impacted um, this, this topic. Um, so you know, just a few comments um, about uh, communities um, during the pandemic and, and, and what, what you found um, to be the reality on the ground. I think that's a great question. And the reality is that domestic violence is an isolating issue for, um, for whoever is impacted by that. And that's one of the tactics of power and control is to isolate uh, someone from their family, fa family, friends, co-workers, uh, faith communities um, in order to, to maintain, maintain the ultimate power and control over that victim. Um, also, COVID further isolates because many of us have either lost jobs or we have been working remotely or teleworking for some months. And that potentially means that that victim is in the same physical space in the home with their abuser. And that can be detrimental to their ability to reach out for safety planning, for services, to learn about resources. If their computer or phone or other devices are being monitored, they can't even have a private conversation with some the, someone that might be able to offer support. Um, also, children are isolated uh, who are experiencing uh, witnessing domestic violence incidents in their home, whereas normally they are connected to social workers at school and guidance counselors and teachers and coaches. And they are often removed during this time from the people that might be able to help them as well. I also wanted to mention just as a side note uh, um, that the center will serve survivors of not just domestic violence or intimate partner, but also child maltreatment, elder abuse, sexual assault, and human trafficking. There'll be elements of all of those issues that will be able to connect people to services. So I think with COVID um, happening in communities across the globe, this is uh, the right time uh, to be able to connect people to resources in one space. 
Yeah, great answer. I, socially connect, physically distance um, is, is my mantra because uh, <laughs> we, we, we don't need isolation. We need social connection for sure. Absolutely. So I appreciate that. The sentiments. Once again, um, the event um, that Duana is, is here to talk about today um, is the cues, clues and other red flags when intimate partner violence is more than black and blue. Again, I end as a Nancy. W-A-H-E-C dot O-R-G slash 63079 or just go to northwestahec.org and search for event 63079 or clues and other red flags. Um, Luana, thanks again for your time today. Any last words that you want to share? I just want to mention that October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. During the month, if there's one small thing that you can do to support a friend, family, or co-worker, um, then please do so. Uh, the, the color purple is the purple for the month. You can wear purple socks, purple hair, purple ties, purple shirts, uh, put purple ribbons in your hair, put them in the trees, uh, put a purple ribbon on your door. But that's a, an excellent way to show um, that you are supporting um, uh, one in three women in many communities across the globe and uh, helping them to stay safe. Well, once again, uh, Duana, thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to a wonderful program on October 30th, and, and thanks for your uh, commitment to, to this important topic. Thank you.